our majestic, transcendent, eternal God, we come before you in awe of your humiliation through your Son. Give us the courage to believe what you say to be true about yourself and about us, that we might be changed. Amen. Please be seated. So just a very quick framing of what's happening here. I occasionally give reports on things I'm working on, and for a while I had done a series on suffering. But starting last spring, I started a new series uh, on kind of theological and pastoral reflections on finitude, on human limitations. And if you're interested, you can go back and look at that. But this really falls as the second in that series of me trying to work through theologically what, what does it mean, how should we think about human finitude, about our limitations. And today my talk is called Praise God for Mary. Now, let me just ask you a question as we start. What, what do you and I, what do we tend to think about our bodies? How do we tend to view this world? Because the truth is, you and I cannot come to embrace our finitude and our limitations until we come to terms with the fact that we are creatures with bodies. And Christians are very familiar with the narrative in Genesis of creation. And we're very familiar with the gospel story about Jesus. But unfortunately, far too often, we do not connect the dots. But I will tell you, it is only in the context of creation and recreation that you and I can properly understand what it means that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God. We're going to need to connect Genesis 1, John 1, and Luke 1. And what we will discover is that God loves us in our particular, concrete, limited, as limited creatures. The incarnation will be God's great endorsement of creation's goodness. And it will constitute a proper theological basis for us to think about creaturely limits. So we've got some work to do. We've got some thinking to do. I want to start with this question, is the material world evil? Now, you're sophisticated, so you probably answer, no, 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 this is a good world. We love our bodies. We love this world. Is that the case? Because this has been a consistent challenge for the church, not just for people out there. It's been a consistent challenge for the church throughout her whole history. An early church father who became a heretic, that, is, that means he's outside of orthodoxy, was Marcion. It's one of the few images we have of him, or at least rendering him. And Marcion, as you can see, was very, very early. But the thing with Marcion was that he was very suspicious of the material world, of our physical bodies, of the stuff. 
What he was interested in was what is spiritual. So he very famously, the way this came through, is he pitted the Old Testament against the New Testament. The Old Testament, that's this God, this deity, or whatever, who made stuff. And if you make stuff, if you're connected with stuff, that must mean you're evil. The New Testament God, this is the spiritual God. This is the God of love and, uh, and the God of liberation. So Marcion had a challenge because he loved the idea of the New Testament. He was a fan of Jesus. And he thought that this is a God who is about the non-material world. So given his presuppositions about the material world, you've got a problem when it comes to Jesus. How should you think about, about Jesus? And to take you through a complicated story in a quick way, basically the answer is, well, he couldn't have really been born. His birth is a test case. It couldn't have been a real birth, like a real birth. He couldn't have actually grown physically and emotionally through childhood. That just, that just isn't right. And, and he used this language. Um, and, and some of you may remember from some of your doctrine classes, this is called docetism, dokeo, to seem. Jesus, he seemed human, he looked human, but he wasn't. He really wasn't. So, for example, one of the Marcionite views was that Jesus passed through Mary as water through a tube. Now, I understand most of you have not had given birth, but there are people in this room who have. And you can ask them afterwards, did it, was it kind of like water through a tube? Because Marcion, Marcion actually used this language. The idea of God taking on human flesh, entering into a womb in whatever way. There's sexism here. There's all kinds of deep problems. He, he said it's unbecoming of God. It's unworthy of God. And it's unthinkable. I mean, it's God after all. He can't, he can't enter in like that. No, no, no. Jesus, if he's truly divine, he certainly couldn't have had genuine, real skin and bone and nose hairs. That's unworthy of God. Well, out of Africa came a guy named Tertullian, one of the great fathers of the church. No one's perfect, but Tertullian was one of my favorites for many of the things. Um, and these are two different renderings of Tertullian. And Tertullian was dealing with the, the consequences of Marcionite thinking that had ravaged the church. And he fiercely opposed Marcionite ideas, famously with a book called On the Flesh of Christ. That's actually an image of the Apostle John with Marcion. And if you can see carefully, it's very old. And they've scraped off Marcion's face, right? On the flesh of Christ, the Carne Christi, this is one of my favorite ancient works. And in this book, he begins 
with this statement. He says, let us examine our Lord's bodily substance, for about his spiritual nature all are agreed. Now let's just think about this. He's writing in the second century. Sometimes you hear people say, like, no one believed that Jesus was divine until the third or the fourth century. That's just not true. I don't have time to give you an argument right now, but it's just not true. And what's fascinating is in this early time, what Tertullian is saying is the, the debate is not, is Jesus divine? Everyone agrees with that within the church. That's, kinder, that's easy. That's kinderspiel. You know what's hard? Is he really human? Is he really human? Now, Christians today, if you ask, if I did a survey in this room, I said, you guys, you guys do you believe that Jesus is fully human? You know, you know the right thing to say. We say, yeah, that's right. That's what, that's what we believe. But if we had the time and the experience has taught me and reading has taught me, listen, you and I are way more uncomfortable with this than we want to admit. If I start to ask you, did Jesus go through puberty? So yeah, slow down. Think about everything that goes on with puberty. Everything. Except without sin. But everything. How you feel right now? What does that say about your God? I actually think we really struggle with this. There's a whole history there because for the last 200 years, for legitimate reasons, often the church, especially in the West, has had to put almost all of its apologetic efforts in defending the deity of Christ. And while it has affirmed the humanity, it is often undervalued and neglected thinking through it. And it has had consequences for how conservative Orthodox Christians think and live. It's only when we regain a substantial appreciation for the humanity of Jesus that you and I can start to appreciate our own humanity. It's only then that you and I have a chance to stop apologizing for our own bodily, creaturely limitations. You see, if we believe Jesus, who's free from all sin, who did not consider creaturely restrictions evil, you can't know everything. You can't be everywhere. You can't. You can't. You can't. If he's okay with it, why do we apologize for it? So let's talk about Mary. Praise God for Mary. Most of the time when we think about the virgin birth, we imagine that this event is primarily important because of what? It testifies to his divinity. That's what immediately tends to come to our mind. We think it's primarily about his divinity. But just so you... And let me be clear. I believe Jesus is fully divine. But it may surprise you that in the ancient Orthodox Church, lowercase o, and, and in Calvin in the Reformation... When they would talk about the virgin birth, it was often not to make an argument for his divinity, but instead as a profound insight into his humanity. 
it actually opened up a window to understand his full and complete humanity. Tertullian unapologetically speaks of the womb of Mary. He focuses on the reality of her pregnancy with all its bodily functions and fluids. While we tend to think of the virgin part, right? That's what grabs our attention. Tertullian, Tertullian brings us back to what's so obvious we easily can miss it. Jesus is born. He's born. Just like everybody else. The only difference, the only difference between his birth and ours is that the pregnancy did not begin with sex with a man. Now I know, I'm not, that's a big difference. (laughs) I get it. Everything else. Everything else is the same. The whole experience, all the normal parts of fetal development. Mary is the mother of Jesus just as much as my wife Tabitha is the mother of Jonathan and Margot. It's a real pregnancy. This baby Jesus is dependent on her. her, His life is dependent on hers. She gave birth to him in Bethlehem, a real place in real time. And he looked at her as his cherished mother. I want to be clear, there's no pretending going on here. There's no pretending. Now you're going to have to listen carefully to this. While the Son of God is eternal, the Son of God is eternal, there is no, there is no embodied human being called Jesus of Nazareth with Mary. Jesus gets his full humanity from whom? His mother, Mary. Forgive the pun, but as Protestants, we are so quick to throw the baby out with the bathwater on this. And it hurts us. Right? We're so afraid to, to give the wrong impression Right? To think of Mary as a co-redeemer or something. Let me be clear. I'm a Protestant. I'm a Protestant Reformed theologian. I do not believe Mary's the Messiah. I do not believe she's our Redeemer. But beloved, that is not to say she is not crucial to the biblical story of salvation. She's not the Messiah, but we must confess, as the biblical revelation requires us to confess, that there is no historical man named Jesus without Mary who gives him birth. I want to show you something cool. I think it's cool, so you have to think it's cool. Remember in Genesis chapter 2, we have the story of Adam and Eve, and in that narrative, we're told that Eve was created, what? From Adam. And And the passage declares, the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Remember that? But now with Mary, 
we discover that the second and the final Adam, where does he come from? It comes from a woman, not from a man. A reversal takes place. Jesus is fully human. He owes his full humanity to Mary. Imagine Mary holding her baby and whispering to him, you are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And she would be right if she said that. This is partly why the ancient church was so quick to make a link, not simply between Jesus and Adam, but guess what? Do you know who that is? That's Eve and Mary. They made a link between Eve and Mary. But notice, where Eve was disobedient, Mary trusted God. Eve decided that her limitations were harmful, her finitude should be rejected, should be thrown off, while Mary trusted that God might delight to accomplish His grandness in her smallness. And in this way, we've got to be very careful that we do not reduce Mary to a mere instrumental person in, a, in, a, in, in significance in terms of a patriarchal world. No, no, no. Her response, which represents not just her, but represents Israel, is, as one, one scholar, New Testament scholar, gets it just right, he says, Mary is most fully herself. The active and responsible subject of her own story. How? When? Watch this. When she acts as the Lord's servant. Do you know when you're most yourself? When you're the Lord's servant. He goes on. Taking God at His word and taking responsibility for acting with trust in that word. You see, Eve sought to escape from her finitude, but Mary embraces it. Isn't that a fascinating thing? What do we think? When the Spirit hovers over Mary, like the Spirit hovering over the creation, the Creator Spiritus hovers over the water, God is not undermining her humanity. He is affirming it. And consequently affirming all of our humanity. These aren't different spirits like Marcion. This is the Spirit of God. And in both narratives, creation and recreation, you have God committing Himself to the goodness of His earth, of His world. But for our purposes, the promise in the second one cannot be understood apart from this woman's willingness to obey God. Praise God for Mary. The Creator. Somehow, and here's the question, how does the Creator become a creature? You know how? The way all humans do. The way everyone in this room did. Born of a woman. 
The infinite is united with the finite in Mary's womb. So let's talk about the beautiful earthiness of Jesus' birth. Tertullian, he, he pushes this. He won't let it go. And he starts to talk about Jesus entering the world with the afterbirth. Doesn't that just kind of sound impious, irreverent, to talk about Jesus and afterbirth? Some of you don't know what afterbirth is. You can ask someone later. <laughs> and then you'll be like, whoa, why is Kavik talking about afterbirth in chaperone? That just seems wrong. Why is he doing that? Because he's pushing the Marcionites exactly where it hurts. He's saying, you think, that you're, you think God is embarrassed of this? You think God is embarrassed of this? You don't know what you're talking about. Now, some of you are like, well, I, I mean, I'm not the best Bible reader, but I'm pretty sure I've never read about afterbirth in the Bible with Jesus. You thought about that? Let me help you out. Those of you who are like, I haven't made it through the Gospels yet. You're not going to find it. It's not there. Here you So, Catholic, why are you all excited about afterbirth? It's not in the Bible. Do you want to know why it's not in the Bible? It's not in the Bible because it happened. I had a friend, a mentor who used to teach here at Covenant, Jim Wilderman, and he used to tell me, I read the newspaper every day because I, I, it's just so depressing. He's like, you know why I still read the newspaper? I'm like, why? Because it reminds me these things are still newsworthy. Murders, terrible things, still make the news. It's a problem when they don't. You don't read about Jesus hearing a joke when he's a teenager, thinking it's so stinking hilarious, he falls off his chair. It's not in there. You don't read about Jesus walking the dusty roads of Galilee, passing gas as he's going, trying to make it like no one did it. <laughs> right now, some of you are offended. And I'm asking, do you really believe he is human? Because until you do, you and I can never come to terms with our own humanity. We don't have a chance. Tertullian asked, why are we so embarrassed about the material world? Listen to what he says. It was actually the ordinary condition of his terrain, which means earthy. It's the ordinary condition of his earthy flesh, which made all, all things else about him wonderful. He's fully human. Hungers, thirsts, weeps, trembles with strong emotion. And you know what else? He bleeds. And when he bleeds, it's not fake blood, it's not ketchup, it's iron-filled real blood that when it leaves him, he will die. The kind of God we worship is not embarrassed of his creation. He loves it. And that love drives his actions. Jesus was born dependent on his mother just like the rest of us. I was thinking about this the other morning. Like, 
you know, Psalm 19, which is a beautiful psalm. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim his handiwork, right? See the glory of God in the, in the creation. And in Luke, we discover you want to see the glory of God. It's very uncomfortable. But it's when Mary's given birth to a child. Love, flesh, and God's yes to creation. Against the Marcionites, Tertullian asked this question. He says, since you detest a human being at their birth, then after what fashion do you love anybody? It's a great question. Because we all say, if you say, do you love people? Like, I love people. I love them, right? The reality is we love, we love mankind. We love the idea of people, but real people. Real people, flesh and blood people. People filled with earthiness and contingency and sweat and blood. With such real people, our love falters and we struggle. But the reality is, if you and I say, well, I love Sam, I really love him, or I love Samantha, I really care about the person I if you're going to love Sam or Samantha just as a friend, as a human being, the odds are you need to get close enough to see their pimples and to smell their sweat and to know their strengths and their weaknesses. Not a romanticized idea of them. But love requires embracing particularity and limits. If you and I are ever going to move from a time management view of our limits to a theological view, we've got to reconnect Genesis 1 and John 1 and Luke 1. Imagine a baby, not more than 20 pounds, ably crawling around on the floor. A real baby, not a sentimentalized baby, not a plastic in the manger baby, but a real baby. A real peeing, pooping, nursing, always needing to sleep, squalling, melt your heart out, baby. And then try and imagine that this little one is none other than the Word of God. How is that possible? Why would God do it? Why would He become that? One word answer love God loves his world and in Jesus God incarnate incarnage in the flesh God in the flesh we encounter God's resounding yes to creation Napoleon at one point asks or says remove the flesh and bring forward the one to whom God has redeemed. Will you re render what he redeemed shameful to him? Sometimes we talk about souls in such a way. Listen, I'm classic orthodox on this. I can talk about a body-soul distinction. But just so you know, we get sideways and crazy on this. Let me tell you who God redeemed. You. You. The Christian hope is not the immortality of the soul. The Christian hope is the bodily resurrection of the dead. 
he redeemed you and Tertullian said, who is you without this? When you and I are ashamed of our body, when we're ashamed of our physicality, when we're ashamed of our finitude and our limits, just so you know, it ultimately betrays that we're ashamed of our Creator. And, the, and we struggle because we confuse our finitude with sinfulness. But beloved, God is not ashamed. He loves us. He loves our physicality. He loves our bodies. He did not come in order to destroy our humanity. In order to erase our humanity. He came to heal it. Jesus is God's great yes to His creation. Without ceasing to be divine, the Son takes upon Himself a genuinely, fully human nature wrapped in finitude within the limits of creaturely experience. The Son comes as the divine affirmation of the creation with all of its creaturely limits. Please pray with me. Our God, these things are far beyond us both speaker and listener. But we praise you for what they point us to. We thank you for Mary and her faithfulness. We thank you for Jesus, our Savior. We thank you that we are creatures. We thank you for our limits. Give us grace and courage to embrace the limits you've given and give us faithfulness to love you and love our neighbor within those limits. It is in the name above every name that we pray.